0: the King, and in this series we're trying to kind of just purely look at Jesus, to get behind all the noise, all of the distractions, whatever kind of preconceived ideas you might have about Jesus, about church, about religion, those kinds of things, and and just see why Jesus was so important in human history. Someone that altered the course of human history 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about this Jewish carpenter, and who for a span of just only three years of life Really, just three years of public ministry, not of life, but of public ministry, he just completely changed the course of human history. And so what was it that was so attractive about him? What was it that was so powerful about him? And how might we find that meaning for ourselves today? Uh, it, it seems like a lot of people like Jesus. Even people that are you know, critics or skeptics of, of Christianity today and those kinds of things, even doubters, they, they have nothing bad to say about the message of Jesus and what he taught. But it just seems like not enough people follow him. And about a third of the world's population actually does, uh, you know, call Jesus their Lord, say that he's changed their lives in profound ways. But there's still two-thirds of people out there that don't see the beauty in Jesus. And so we want to look at Jesus, and, and we still got a few weeks to go. I just want to give you a heads up. Next week for Friends Day, we will be putting, we will be putting the series on pause. Sorry, I'm having a hard time getting my lips to move this morning. Unique New York. Unique New York. Seashells. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. uh, You guys should see me before service. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But, um... We talked last week, or we kicked off just a few weeks ago, this series on seeing Jesus. Next week, because of Friends Day, we will put the series on pause. Um, We'll be doing kind of a community-related message next week, and then we'll pick the series back up um, starting that week after. But Jesus, we, we looked at this in week one. When Jesus showed up on the scene, Jesus came to bring something brand new into the world. It was something that had been promised for a long time. It had been promised for thousands of years, but it had never been seen. It had not come into reality. And so when Jesus showed up, we see Jesus doing some really cool and really new things, um, although they were challenging to the people of those days, and they, they can be challenging to us as well. But in Jesus's ministry and in his message, we see Jesus constantly redefining power and redefining influence and, and kind of redefining love and redefining relationships. And then, you know, what, what he ran into the most resistance over was his redef- redefinition of religion, the redefinition of what it means to be in relationship with God, what it looks like to be in relationship with God. And, and so we said, kind of summing up, and you could probably come up with more than these three, but summing up what Jesus came to make new, he came to give us a new covenant a new way of being in relationship with God, a new way to get into relationship with God. And then he gave his followers this new command, this kind of singular ethic that kind of summed up all of the Old Testament. And if it becomes the filter through which we live life and look at life and look at relationships and everything else going on, it's the only thing you need to know. It is far simpler, excuse me, to understand far simpler to understand but it is way more demanding to actually live out in everyday life and so this new covenant coupled with this new ethic this new command kind of constitutes what it might look like to be part of this new movement that Jesus was introducing and in week one we looked at Jesus's baptism and even in his baptism we see him doing you know kind of giving his hints of this new way of doing things because Jesus came to be baptized by somebody else which doesn't make sense you're the leader of the movement. You're the guy. Why would you want to, you know, be baptized by someone else? And John actually asks him that question. And Jesus says, look, things are new. Just do this so that everything can be made complete. And so he's baptized. And then there's Jesus. He's on the scene and, and ready to go. The stage is set. The spotlight's on. The mic is ready. And then as we saw last week, Jesus at that point turns and heads off to be by himself in the wilderness to kind of, um, you know, go through this period of, of testing and of temptation and, and and we saw last week this bottom line of overcoming temptation was this idea of worship that jesus actually came to restore an idea of worship for each and every one of us and and gave us a principle that and, and i kind of I don't know that I took the time last week to kind of make this clear, and so I wanted to to kind of revisit this just for a second. Jesus kind of gave us an awesome idea that the key to beating your temptations, or maybe, maybe you might have heard it this way, killing your demons or getting rid of your demons, the key to overcoming some of those things that keep tripping you up in life is not so much about this, you know, finding this discipline where we stop ourselves from doing something, stop ourselves, you know, I'm going to discipline myself every time I do something so that I can make myself stop doing something, and whenever I do something bad, I'm kind of going to slap myself on the hand, but rather he gave us a different idea when he used this word worship. And the idea to overcoming, or the principle, or the key to overcoming our temptations or killing some of our demons is not so much about the discipline, but it's about finding something far more beautiful than whatever it is that keeps breaking us down, to find something far more attractive. I mean, once you've had filet mignon, McDonald's doesn't taste the same, And so Jesus came to show us this. It's about about this worship thing. And there's even these old hymns we used to sing way back in the day, like turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And that's what it's all about. And we're going to see in some of the future lessons when Jesus goes to the cross, not only is he forgiving our sins, but he is actually restoring the object of our worship and he gives us something so beautiful that everything else in life everything else that that breaks us down and that hurts ourselves and that hurts the people that we love it's all lost when you look at Jesus and so Jesus you know comes back down out of the wilderness he shows up on the scene, and, and, and he's launching his revolution. And, and you know, he, he's, he's challenging the Jewish people's national aspirations, which they were the people of God. They were the special people of God because of their ancestor Abraham. But they didn't really want to exist for the rest of the world. Really, they found themselves of a mindset where they were against the rest of the world. And the church and the people of God, that's always going to be kind of our challenge and the thing that we have to wrestle with, that we are not against the world, but that in fact God has made us his special people so that we can be for the world. Can I hear a good amen from City Grace? And so he came and he kind of challenged their national aspirations. They were kind of looking for, you know, somebody wear a a baseball cap with M-I-G-A, make Israel great again. And Jesus is like, you know, no, we... We got to switch that up a little bit, you know. And then he came and he, he challenged their religious traditions. And, you know, the temple's not this way to just not feel guilty anymore for the bad things you've done. But there needs to be something in your religion, in your, in your relationship with God that inspires you to be different than you were before. And so he's got this, these tough messages that he's given people. And these kind of challenging ideas that he's presenting to people. But people keep listening to him because he's feeding them. It's free food. Every time Jesus rolls up, it's like the taco truck coming to a construction site, right, to blow the horn, and everybody comes out because the taco trucks there and then he's healing people and in those days, you know, there were people with all kinds of, you know, skin problems or someone who had broken a leg when they were younger and it wasn't set quite right. So maybe they had a limp and maybe that kept them from farming or producing or being a worker. And so they're kind of pushed to the the edges of society. There's a woman in one of the stories with this persistent hemorrhage that she can't get rid of and and she wastes all of her money on doctors and on the medicine of the day. And they, they needed a healer. They needed someone to to change things. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he starts feeding people and healing them. So of course they want to hear what he has to say and Jesus is telling people, "Change is a coming. This is what you've been waiting for, Israel. This is what you've been promised. What it looks like for God to finally show up and be in charge as your king. This is it." And so we've got to change the way that we look at things. And so from that time on, Jesus began to preach, "Repent. There's that idea of change, change your thinking, change your ways, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, and so he would invite people to to join him. He would invite people to follow him, and then him and his closest followers would then turn and baptize the people as a sign that they had joined the revolution, they had joined the Jesus movement. And so he needs more leaders at this point because his movement's growing. He needs some people to kind of help him. And and so, you know, he starts inviting other people to not only join the movement, but to be leaders within the movement. And this is why what, you know, today's message is so important. This is why I wanted to talk about this today. Because this is still the way that the Jesus movement works. Jesus invites individuals to become a part of his movement. Jesus did not just come onto earth to set up a new kingdom like in the traditional sense of a kingdom. Jesus did not come to replace a system with a different system. He didn't come to replace socialism with capitalism. He did not come to replace tyranny with democracy. What's the point of bringing a new system? What's the point of bringing a good system if that system is still run by bad people? No matter what system you come up with, if the people are bad, then they're going to find loopholes and they're going to find ways to corrupt the system. And so Jesus starts at the individual level. He starts at the heart level, and that is still what is going on in the world today. That's why we are here. This is why the church exists, to reach out to the world and invite people to come and to join the Jesus movement. One by one and heart by heart, Jesus changes the world through his church. And that's what we're a part of. This is what the church should be all about. When you think of church, this is what you should be thinking of. When the world sees the church, this is what they should be seeing in the church. When we think of baptism, when we talk about baptism, that's what we should think of when we think about baptism. It should be this moment where people are declaring, I am joining the Jesus movement. I'm leaving my old way of living behind. I now accept him as my king, and I'm going to rise out of these waters of baptism to live my life in a brand new kind of way. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but if you've been around, I've been talking about baptism a lot. There's a reason that I'm talking about baptism a lot. To me, it is so awesome that there is a way that we, in 2018, can publicly identify our lives with a 2,000-year-old movement that is still the best news this world has ever heard. We're living in the age of enlightenment. We're supposed to be smarter. We're supposed to be better. We're supposed to be past, needing all those superstitions and, you know, this this strange image of this grandfather in the sky kind of thing. But yet our society is just as fractured as we have ever been. It seems like we're dealing with the same injustices and the same prejudices that people have been battling for thousands of years. And I think there's a lot of people in our world today that are coming to the realization that, hey, things are still broken, and maybe knowledge and maybe intellect and maybe science wasn't the, the answer, the solution that we needed after all. And when all of that goes away and when we're left seemingly in despair, Jesus still remains. And Jesus' words are still timeless. In fact, Jesus' words will last forever. You can build your life on them, you can build your hopes on them, you can build a family. On the words of Jesus, the ideas of Jesus. Jesus is timeless. But look, I get why that might make you nervous, talking about baptism. Like, hey, I like Friends Day, but don't ask me to jump in a tub full of water in front of a bunch of strangers, right? And if the guests weren't so introverted in an environment where you're not comfortable, I'd ask you to say amen, but you're probably scared to say amen, (laughs) Come on, it's, it's nerve wracking for any, anybody. I get why that might make you nervous. I get why you might need a, a little more information before you're ready to go that far. And, and I'm okay with that, partly because I am the world's worst salesman. I had a photography business for a while, and I used to tell people people would come to me and they say, Well, we found this other photographer for way cheaper. And I used to tell them, Yeah, if you, see, you, know, if you can't tell a difference and they're like $1,000 cheaper, you should go with that guy. I did, I used to tell people that because I don't like to push. I, you, I am never gonna be that pastor to be like, what would it take to get you into a baptismal tank today? Like just, that's not happening. I'm not gonna offer you discounts on offerings or anything like that. Like, I want you to come to a point of faith. I want you to come to a point where you see Jesus as the most awesome thing that ever was or that ever will be and that you embrace him for yourself. And out of genuine faith, you walk forward into living a life full of Jesus. When you see the beauty of the Jesus life, I'm telling you, when you serve, when you live, when you do life with a church family, like the church family we have at City Grant, we're pretty awesome. Like four of us really believe that, and the rest are still thinking about it, but i I'm telling you, when you see the beauty of living life full of Jesus and living in in, in church family community like this, I'm telling you, it is awesome and it's life-changing. And when you get to that point and you are ready to make that move, I'll be ready and I'll baptize you. And you'll come out of that water and Jesus will baptize you with the Spirit and you will never be the same again. But in a totally, 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 Beautiful way, yeah, come on. Anybody that's had that happen in their life, can you clap your hands and give God praise for that? But if you are still considering it, you're pumping the brakes a little bit, not quite ready to clap your hands, I think you'll actually find yourself in good company. You're okay. If you're taking it slow, you don't need to jump in. And so today we're actually going to look at a story of someone when they started following Jesus, maybe his most famous Jesus follower, maybe his most notable, certainly his his most vocal. But I think in this story of his conversions, and we're going to talk about Peter today, Simon Peter, I think we'll see what, uh, what are about four stages of beginning to follow Jesus. And the really interesting thing is I think everybody in this room is at one of these four stages. And so I think even in today's story, you might even be able to see yourself. And so we're going to go to the New Testament, the new part of the Bibles, and the new part of your Bibles. And and in there, the first four documents in there, the first four letters in there, it's called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's really interesting. These are are four um, accounts of that three-year span of Jesus' public ministry. And Matthew is the first one. He was an eyewitness. He was actually one of Jesus' 12 closest followers. Uh, Mark, uh, who wrote the second one, people actually believe that he spent time with Peter, who Peter may not have been able to read and write on his own. Maybe Mark was there to kind of, you know, take down his account and write it out. That's Mark. And then Luke. Luke is a really interesting guy because he wasn't Jewish to begin with. Luke is kind of like us, a non-Jewish guy, and he was a doctor at first, a really intelligent guy who then started investigating this whole Jesus movement because it was kind of spreading everywhere, and, and he writes down an orderly account after kind of interviewing all the eyewitnesses and researching all of the accounts and looking up everything that was going on. And then finally, John was another disciple, another one of the uh, 12 closest, one of the three closest disciples of Jesus, actually. He was an eyewitness as well. And this is awesome to me, and I say this, because no other historical figure has this much stuff written about them by their contemporaries. When we read about, like, Alexander the Great and these other great historical figures, a lot of the time, uh, like Alexander the Great, the the most well-known work about his life wasn't written until two or 300 years later after he was dead. And then somebody went back and wrote about him. But we just kind of accept his life story without ever questioning it. Jesus has these accounts of his life written within five years of the time that he was alive. The eyewitnesses were still present. People that could have objected were still there. And so I I just think it's so awesome and so interesting to know about that, But today we're going to look at Matthew and Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to look at Matthew and Luke's account of, of this story of Peter's conversion. We're going to look at Matthew's version first. He was writing to mainly Jewish people, people that probably knew Simon Peter, probably knew a lot of the details about his life. And they already had, uh, you know, big faith in God and a supernatural, you know, deity. They already knew what it was like to follow around uh, a rabbi. But when we read Matthew's account of how Simon started to follow Jesus, if you're kind of on the fence and you're not really sure if you're ready to follow Jesus, this account will freak you out. Like if that's the way that people start following Jesus, I don't know if I can start following Jesus that way. But hang in there, because then we're going to read Luke's account also. I want to read Matthew's to make a point, and then we're going to read the same story from a different angle With Luke. So let's start with Matthew's account. Here we go in Matthew chapter 4, 18. He says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. So if you hear me use Simon and Peter interchangeably, I'm talking about the same guy. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, and they weren't just doing it for fun. They were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. What in the world does that mean? But at once, they don't even, seems like they don't even question him. At once, they left their nets and they follow him. Now really, like is that the way following Jesus works? I'm busy working on my nets. I'm a fisherman. A guy walks up and he tells me to leave my family business, tells me to abandon my career of fishing for fish because now he wants me to fish for people. And I say, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And I just stop working and I walk off and follow Jesus. That's how following, it gets even worse. Matthew tells us something else. He says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, which is a really fun name to say. Come on, somebody say Zebedee. It's fun. And his brother John, they were in a boat with their father. Yeah, that guy. Preparing their nets. And Jesus called them and immediately everybody say immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him that's that's weird they left their father in the boat with the net now, look, I grew up in church, and you're gonna have to give me grace if you know me. I grew up in church and I'm you know been a Christian for a long time, so I kind of make fun of Christians because I'm making fun of myself. So give me some space, give me a little bit of grace to kind of make fun of myself. I, I've grown up hearing messages about this. Like, look at their spirituality, look at their faith. They are heroes and giants of faith. And honestly, it doesn't seem very spiritual, it seems a little irresponsible. Honestly, it doesn't seem very spiritual. It seems a little bit disrespectful. Hey, Dad, I know you're old. Have fun pulling in the nets by yourself. You know, the guy with the sandals, we're going to go follow him. And immediately, they leave their nets, and they leave their father, and they go, and they follow Jesus, and we hear messages like this sometimes if you hang around church you might hear I might preach a message like this sometimes but you you got to know the context and and we hear things that, that are said like well if you love Jesus then you'll leave your everything and follow him and that's true we hear messages like if Jesus isn't Lord of all then Jesus isn't Lord at all and like there's a sense in which that's very true but you've got to know the timing You've got to understand the whole situation because if you're wrestling with doubts or if you're an unbeliever, if you're, you know, you're not really sure you're ready to walk away from dad and the boat and the nets, then you're not really left with an option. Because maybe at whatever stage of faith you're at, you're not ready to say that he is Lord of everything. And even as a young person growing up in church, I mean, like, I'm going to leave everything and follow Jesus. Like, does, can I finish high school first? You know, does, does that mean I can't go to college? What does it mean that I have to go follow Jesus right now? But you're trying to fit in with a youth group. You know, you don't want to be the only one around the campfire that doesn't raise your hand. So you raise your hand, say yes. I'll follow, and then you go back to high school the next week, and you're like, well, I'm not really sure. I know because that was me. I'm telling you the truth because I've been there. I've lived this. I know this. But here's the good news. Relax. Tranquilo. Take a breath. That's not the whole story. All of this did happen, but this is not all that happened, and Luke kind of fills in some of those gaps in the story. So Luke is writing the same account, but he's writing to people like you and me, people that didn't know Peter, people that didn't know James and John and Zebedee, People that weren't sure about all of this, and they didn't know their history in the background. And so for those of us that need a little more info before we walk off and leave dad to run the family business, Luke tells us what happened before Matthew's account even takes place. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 4 towards the end. Jesus, remember, he had come down out of the wilderness and went into the synagogues, was healing, was teaching people. Well, after one day at church, he left the synagogue, and he went to the home of Simon. Oh, So before Simon started following him, Jesus was his dinner guest. He went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And Luke's giving us a little more background now, right? This is how Simon met Jesus. He actually had Jesus over to his house. Jesus actually healed Simon's mother-in-law. So Luke's telling us there's a little more background to the story for those of you that don't know who Simon was and those of you that don't know what all happened in Simon's life. And so then Luke starts to take us to where Matthew's story picks up. And here's here's a picture. We're going to go to the Sea of Galilee. This is a picture of where Jesus did his ministry. It's all within just a little over 30 miles, a 30-mile radius. And that little, the the medium-sized blue up there towards the top, that's the sea of galilee and it was it's a huge area and uh, it was about a accounted for about a third of their fresh water supply and today you can actually visit the sea of galilee and i'm going to show you a picture in just a little bit of a little inlet in the sea of galilee and so luke when he's telling his story he's saying listen this is an actual place this is actual history this and luke would tell us this actually happened and so Luke goes on with the narrative. He says, well, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and that's another name for the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around Jesus and they were listening to the word of God. Now this word listening is huge. Somebody asked me, why is it huge, Jared? It's, it's huge because you need to know that following Jesus starts with information. Following Jesus starts with listening. Following Jesus does not start with blind faith. Following Jesus starts with hearing the words of Jesus. And if you've been in church for a little while, maybe you're feeling a little pushback on this. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, we we know that we we need to we need to. Kind of trust him a little bit. But listen, you you all know a verse. You maybe learned it in Sunday school, and there, there are four words in this verse, and I bet you can finish word number four when I say the first three words. You ready? If you've been in church for a while, you know this verse. Faith comes by hearing. You already know this. Your faith with Jesus comes from listening. It does not begin with leave your world. It does not begin with leave your nets and leave your dad and walk away from everything. It is built on the person of Jesus. It is built on everything that he had to say. It is built on learning to trust what Jesus had to say about life. And we know this about trust, that it's an essential building block of a relationship. And so Luke is telling us about this, where people are crowding around him. And this is actually an inlet in, on the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret, as it's called. And you can see one of these little inlets. You can imagine they're all pressing him back close to the shore. But there's this little kind of cove there. And he's got to figure out a way to talk to everybody. It's important for Jesus that they hear him better. Because Jesus knows that if they can hear me, they'll begin to believe me following begins with listening and so he needs a better way to speak to the people that are crowding around him so he sees at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets and the fishermen have done you know they're done fishing for the night they pull their nets in they hang them out on some posts and they're cleaning out all the plastic bottles and soda cans and everything else they're they're busy working and cleaning and they're sweating and jesus goes and climbs into one of the boats the one belonging to simon He was just over his house the other night, right? Just healed his mother-in-law, a blessing that Simon did not ask him for. And he's, he's there. Now he's where Simon's working the next day. He went to where Simon lived. Now he's where Simon worked. He's infusing himself into Simon's life. He gets into the boat belonging to Simon, and he asks him to put out a little bit from the shore. And then he sits down, and he teaches the people from the boat. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus, as we can kind of see from this story, is actually pursuing Simon. He's actually making sure that his voice is going in Simon's ear. Because he knows that if his words can get into his ears, his words can eventually affect Simon's heart. And so he gets into the boat and tells Simon to get in with him. And then he pushes off a little bit from the shore because now he has people all around him. People can get closer to him, and people can hear him better. And so he teaches in this boat, and he's teaching, 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 and Simon's listening, listening, listening. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So he turns to Simon, and he asks Simon to do something that Simon had done a 1,000 times before, but this time he asks Simon to do it a little bit differently. See, Simon was a fisherman. Simon was tired because he had fished all night. They had just cleaned the nets. Anybody know what it's like to work a really long day? And you put everything away, and then you got to take everything back out again? Or maybe any parents know what it's like to come home from a long day's work? You get all the kids showered and clean. You microwave dinner. You know, you kind of get everything ready. You go take a shower. You know, the kids are in bed. You put that stuff on your face that makes you look like a zombie. You know, you lay down. You turn out the lights. Mom, I'm thirsty. Right? You get up and you get him a glass of water and you take it to the kid. The kid takes one sip and they say, this is bathroom water. I want a kitchen water. Right, you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? Simon's tired. Simon's tired, and you don't fish when it's daytime. You fish at nighttime, but he's very diplomatic. And Jesus is a rabbi, and after after all, he did heal my mother-in-law. So, you know, to, I, I'm not ready to follow you just yet, Jesus. I'm a little bit put out by what you're asking me to do. You know, I'm I'm kind of tired, but I don't really know how to diplomatically tell you no. So let me just raise an objection, master. We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Now notice what he calls him, master. I'm going to show you some respect, but I don't know if I'm ready to call you lord master, but I don't know. I mean, you healed my mother-in-law. I can't deny there's something special going on. I'm not sure if I'm ready to call you my savior. I'm not ready. I'm not sure if I'm ready to start following you to completely devote my life to you. So let me just acknowledge your greatness and call you master. We've worked hard all night because when you're net fishing and the water cools off, all the fish rise to the top. That's why you fish at night. And when you're net fishing and it's daytime and the water at the surface heats up, all the fish dive deep. And so you don't fish during the daytime. They had been fishing when they were supposed to fish, and they had caught nothing. And then Jesus says, let's go fishing when you're not supposed to go fishing. Simon had to deal with what Jesus was asking him to do. He's probably thinking, well, he's clearly a carpenter. Great sermon, you know, but you don't really know anything about fishing, Jesus. And, and you've gone and drawn a crowd. They've seen me washing my nets. If I get back in the boat now and take my nets with us, and we go out and I start fishing now, they're going to think I'm crazy. And here's what's at stake in that moment. Simon had to decide if he could trust Jesus. Simon at that moment was not debating about did he know who Jesus really was Simon at that point wasn't thinking, well, have I been to church enough this week? Have I I been good this week or bad this week? He just had to deal with the, the question of whether or not he could trust Jesus to take this one step beyond his comfort zone, to take one step beyond what he knew to do and trust that what Jesus was asking him to do would still produce results, something he'd done a thousand times It was his business. It was his life, his livelihood. Could he trust Jesus to do it one more time with a little bit of a Jesus twist on it? Master, we've worked all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, this is so beautiful to me. I think this is why Peter kind of got the frontman job for the movement because there are times when Peter just sticks a sandal in his mouth and there are other times when Peter says something that is brilliant and I think this is absolutely brilliant. Not Jesus, you know. I, I think I think you're right. I think we're going to catch something. No, not Jesus. I, I, I'm sure this is going to work out. No, but because Jesus, because I just listened to what you said. Because you say so, I'm going to give it a try. Because of the stories from the people around me that I love and that I trust, and I know who love me, Jesus, I'm going to give your way a try. Because you say so, I will go out again. And here's the thing, Simon had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to trust Jesus. But really, we only know who Simon Peter is because of this one moment that happened when Peter was dead tired and ready to go home. This one moment led to him following Jesus and he would later on become the mouthpiece of the Jesus movement. And he had no idea at this time what hung in the balance of trusting Jesus. And that's where some of us are today. We have no idea what hangs in the balance of trusting Jesus. We have no idea what hangs in the balance of following Jesus, of doing something that Jesus is asking us to do. You know, you got that thing that you've been thinking about, that thing that you've been kind of putting off, that thing that's been nagging at you. It's been in the back of your mind, that emotion, that hesitation, that thing that, you know, kind of scares you a little bit. You're worried that other people are going to think you're crazy. You're worried that other people are going to look at you because you've never done anything like this before. You've never lived this way. You've never loved this way. You've never forgiven this way. Maybe you've never prayed this way. Maybe you've never been baptized this way. Maybe you've never served the world around you this way. But I'm telling you this morning, it's Jesus that you're talking with. It is someone who is able to do things that will blow your mind. Ways that you have done life a thousand times. Ways that you have done relationships time and time again. And they've always gotten you the same results. Jesus can take you to another level. He can take you into deeper waters. He can take you into a richer life. Into ways of living that you have never experienced before. And because Peter decided... To trust Jesus, he was used later on in ways that changed the course of human history. If he had only known, if he had only known what was on the other side of his decision, there never would have been any hesitation. And it's the same with us if we only knew, if Jesus would only show us. But he doesn't. Why? I don't know. Because he's Jesus and he's smarter than us. And this is the way that he asks us to enter into the relationship with him. He just asks us to trust his crazy idea. That's how it started for Simon. That's how it started for me. And if you start following Jesus, that's how it will start with you. That's how it starts with all of us. A Simple decision on whether or not we're going to trust him. So Simon says, okay, Jesus, Because you say so, we're going to put out the nets again. And when they had done so, not when they decided to do so, not when they agreed to do so, not when they intended to do so, but when they had done so. Because doing makes the difference. Because what you do proves what you believe. Because what you do proves how much we trust in Jesus. When they believed, when they trusted, when they leaned their reputation on Jesus to the point where it made them do something. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Lines started popping The boat leaned way over to one side. Now it wasn't Jesus' feet in the water. Now it's their feet in the water. Now they're getting nervous. So they signal over to their partners in the other boat, hey, come and help us. And the other boat paddles out there real quick. And they filled the both boats so full that the boats began to sink with all of the fish. And now they're in the inlet and all the people are on the shore watching them. And now they're knee deep in fish. And the boat's starting to go under, and there's fish flopping all around and smacking them in the face and going out, and they don't know what's going on. and It's chaos, and it's just madness. They did not expect this to happen. They weren't sure what they were expecting, but it wasn't this. Jesus, because you say so, we'll go do this. We don't really expect anything to be different when we do this thing that we've done a thousand times, but now you're asking us to do it again the wrong way, but it's your way. We're not sure what to expect, but we did not expect this. And Peter, ship is gone. The boat's going down full of fish. They're standing there with just dumb, stupid grins on their face. They never caught this many fish before. In the middle of all that chaos, when Simon Peter saw this, you know what Simon did? He did not start dancing on the fish and think, man, I'm going for an early retirement. He did not start dancing and say, I got three weeks vacation. This is going to be enough money for me to not have to work again for the rest of this year. He did not think I need to run back to home and change my tax exemption so that I'll get more money back from all this overtime. He did not say, I'm definitely buying my mom-in-law her own house. When Simon Peter saw all of this, he fell At Jesus' knees. You know why he fell at Jesus' knees? Because there were so many fish in the boat. He fell at Jesus' knees. And he says, go away from me, Lord. Not master now. You've shown me something that I did not think was possible. When I just trusted you, you produced something I never dreamed could happen. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful Man, And on the other side of a trust in Jesus that caused him to do something, he finally saw Jesus for who Jesus really was. And when he saw Jesus for who he really was, he saw himself for who he really was. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And now what we talked about in week one with John the Baptist And his message about Jesus, now we see that actually coming true for Peter. Do you guys remember what John had to say about Jesus? The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Look at Jesus. Don't blindly follow Jesus, but look at Jesus Consider Jesus, evaluate Jesus, put your trust in Jesus enough to just take a look at Jesus, the one that takes away the sins of the whole world. And now for Peter, when he looked at Jesus, he saw him for who he was. And he falls down and he says, go away from me for I am a sinful man. And now it wasn't about fish Now, it wasn't about nets. The boat's still going down. They don't know what, they're they're throwing fish out, you know. They didn't really want to catch the fish. They just wanted to make them late for something, you know, just throwing them back into the lake, trying to bail water, trying to right the ship, and Peter is there at the feet of Jesus. It's not about the cares of life. It's not about circumstances. It's not about what other people see me doing. It's not about what other people think of me. It's not about the thing that I've done a thousand times. But in that moment, Peter truly began to follow Jesus. In that moment, because of his trust, his trust was rewarded. When he took the step, his heart was opened up to new possibilities. When he took that step of faith and did what Jesus asked him to do, his eyes were opened and he found himself in the presence of his Lord. And Luke tells us in this story that it's after that moment After Simon sees Jesus for who he really is, Jesus looks down at Simon. Simon who had doubted him. Simon who was just kind of really hesitant to even do anything for Jesus, even though Jesus had done so much for him. Simon, who had listened to Jesus for a pretty long time now, but Simon had never taken a step to follow him before. Jesus looked down at Simon, kneeling before him, and he said to Simon, don't be afraid from now on. In other words, I accept you. I forgive you. Don't worry about the hesitation. Don't worry about your lack of faith before. Now I want to tell you about your future. Forget your past, I want to tell you about your future. Forget yesterday, I want to tell you about tomorrow. When you did something out of trust, and when you did something that I asked you to do, even when it did not make sense, now I want to tell you about the future that I have planned for you. And he tells him, from now on, you will fish for people. But now when Peter hears this, he doesn't know what it means, but he's willing to trust Jesus, I've been through this just a few moments ago and it turned out okay. So now, Jesus, I can trust you in things that I don't understand. And so they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything. They followed Jesus. And I would have too. And you would have too if that was you that day. But not because of a blind faith but because you listened to his words, because you looked at him and who he was, because you listened to the stories around you from people who love you about what he has done for them and about what he wants to do for you. They listened, and then they inconvenienced themselves, and then they lent him their boat until it finally came to the point where they were ready to leave everything and follow Jesus. And those men, those four men and the rest of those close disciples, after Jesus had died and rose again, these four men began to change the world. And they did not turn their world upside down. They began to turn their world right side up. And the people who had trusted what Jesus simply had to say, something that did not make sense on the outside, began to offer this world and began to offer you and began to offer me a message of hope that even though we may doubt and even though we may hesitate and even though we're not really sure what's going on or if we're ready to take that next step, that if we will simply keep listening and keep trusting and maybe one day take a step where we do what Jesus asks us to do, even though we don't understand how it could possibly make sense that just like them, we can turn our world right side up. That we can bring some peace and some reconciliation. I mean, look at this church family. Look at what look at what is happening amongst us and in our relationships. In here, there is no hate. In here, there is no prejudice. In here, there is forgiveness and love and acceptance and... See, in this church family, when somebody has a need, we all pitch in together and help them. We give to those who are in need. We support those who are in need because we know that one day we may be in need ourselves because we know that one day we were in need ourselves. We forgive not because we're trying to be good people but because one day he forgave us. We love regardless of what the person's like or how they treat us because one day, In spite of how we had treated him, Jesus loved us and he gave us hope and he gave us a place to belong. We are changing the world. You say, wow, that's a pretty strong statement. Not by replacing a system. Not by taking over the government. But one heart at a time. One broken life Oh, can I hear an amen from somebody in this room? One broken life at a time. One broken home at a time to come in with Jesus' words of healing and of restoration and of forgiveness and of a future. But it doesn't happen until you trust. It doesn't happen until you trust. And I think in this story we can see four stages of following Jesus, four stages of trusting Jesus. The first stage to following Jesus is simply to sit and listen. For some people in this room, the next thing you need to do is come back next week. This is where you need to begin. You need more information. You don't need blind faith. You need to hear the words of Jesus. And so for some of us, it's simply to make a commitment that we're gonna start putting ourselves where we can hear the words of Jesus more often. For some of us, it's time to loan him the boat. Give him some time. Inconvenience yourself. Get outside of your routine. Get outside of what you've done a thousand times but always done it your way. And start giving Jesus some access. If you're wanting to come here at City Grace, you want to follow Jesus here, you need to sign up for Growth Track. Growth Track is an awesome program. It happens four Sundays in a row. We'll feed you. We'll take care of your kids. It happens after service. You need to step in and go through it and find out what City Grace is all about. Find out how to serve with City Grace. Find out how to belong at City Grace. How to participate here at, this, at City Grace. You need to find a serve team. You need to find some friends who are in church who are trying to follow Jesus themselves so they can influence you to follow Jesus. Maybe you need to put some other relationships on pause because they're pulling you away from following Jesus. Maybe put some influences in your life and lend him the boat. You're beyond that. You need to take him fishing. You need to do something. You need to take that step of faith. You know that thing that God's been talking to you about. You know that thing that God's been telling you to start, that you haven't started yet. You know that thing that God's been telling you to stop, that you haven't stopped yet. You haven't been baptized yet, maybe. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You've been putting it off. You've been putting it off. And some of us were baptized a long time ago. Some of us us were baptized in a whole different version of ourselves, a whole different time period of our lives, a whole different age, a whole different point of their faith. And if you're trying to restart your adult faith, you need to restart your adult baptism. But I got good news for you. You ready for the good news? I'm going to make it easy for you. Sunday, May 20th. We're having Baptism Sunday, and you need to be baptized on Sunday, May 20th. Hey, look, it's Justin. Dude, I totally owe you lunch for that, man. You need to be baptized on Baptism Sunday. We're starting sign-ups next week. We're going to have a webpage where you can get all the information you need. There's going to be a forum on there where you can send an email to some random person, me, where you, you, know, you can ask questions about baptism. I'll buy you a cup of coffee and we can talk about baptism. But you need to commit yourself. You need to give him your boat. You need to give him some area of your life. You need to get out from the crowd and step out publicly and say, okay, I know this looks crazy, but I'm with Jesus and it's something that you're scared to death of and you've never done before, and that's okay. I'm telling you, Jesus will never let you down. He will never disappoint you. There is person after person. I'm one of those people. I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest days of my life. (laughs) Ten years from now, ten years from now, you will not remember what you do the rest of this week. But 10 years from now, you will remember when you got baptized on Sunday, May 20th, and Jesus changed your life, and it was the start of something brand new. It's time to do something that changes the course of your life, of your life. And then finally, maybe it's time for you to completely sell out, to completely abandon yourself to following Jesus. To stop playing games where we tell God, you know, you can have this part of my life, but not that part. Jesus, you can have this relationship, but not that relationship. I'm not really sure I'm ready to do that. Jesus, I I know I gave you that thing, but Jesus, now I'm going to take it back. Jesus, I know I said, if you would, then I would. And if you would, then I wouldn't anymore. It's time to quit playing games with Jesus for some of us. You've been coming around too long. He's been so good. He has given you proof after proof of his love and his mercy and his grace. There is nobody in this life that will treat you as good as Jesus. There is nobody that will treat you like Jesus. Come on all over this room, however you're comfortable. Could you close your eyes and talk to him just for a second? Jesus, show us where we are. Jesus, show us where we are. Jesus, show me where I am, not to grade myself, but Jesus, so that I can know how to take another step. Jesus, show me how to put myself in a place where I can hear more of your words, feel more of your grace, sense more of your presence. I need you, Jesus. Can we all stand this morning in this place?